Church Podcast. We're going to get started with this one today with a very special segment of Where Did You Go to Bible College? The last episode, I uh, shared where I went to Bible college because we talked about doing that, and then you guys all chickened out on me. So why don't we start out by telling everybody a little bit about us and what our education was like. Tom? In my defense, I want to say, first of all, not necessarily chickening <laughs> out. When you get to the age of Steve Brudnick, especially, your memory goes, and you forget what it was you said you were going to say. And so maybe it's not chickening out. Maybe be more gentle with a senior citizen here in the group. And <laughs> Amen. <laughs> anyway, I went to Howells Anderson College. I attended from 91 to 97, graduated 95 with a bachelor's degree, and stayed two more years to find a wife, which didn't happen, but that's too much information. That was going to be my question, actually. It is. It was, did, you, did you find your wife at college? I did not. Oh, okay. Did not. All right. Well, Martin, what about you, buddy? Um, I went to a small Bible institute in Northern Ireland, um, and it was run by local pastors and uh, local missionaries. And so it was uh, very informal, very small, doesn't exist anymore, but they did an excellent job, and I turned out great. <laughs> I love it. In so my humble, in there's my humble no opinion. name to this thing? That- it was, man, what was it called? It was called, um, wow, this is embarrassing. Started with a B. It met in a little town called Ballyclare. I Bally can tell Clare. that you probably go back for reunions, don't you? I mean, you know, you're really... It, you know what? It, this is really awful. Along these honored halls of learning. <laughs> this is the great thing. Hey, you. listen, no, we're pre-recording I, this, but we're not editing any of this out. I got <laughs> no, none of it. See, I, it actually reminds me of something we should have said in our first podcast, and that is Martin. No regrets. Because of his accent and stuff, there are certain words that could confuse people. <clears throat> and sometimes he talks about pasta, but he's actually talking about being a pastor. And so every once in a while he has an idea. Yeah, idea. Yeah. And then... If we ever talk about the call of God on our life, sometimes you think he's talking about your colon, but he's actually talking about your calling. So, Martin, would you like to say anything about Steve? I mean, if you have anything come to your mind, I've got so much to say about Steve. We have got no, I, um, yeah, no, to answer the question because I've got it now. Um, I went to Emmanuel Baptist Bible School. So it started with a B, as in Baptist. Yeah, wow. Emmanuel. Yeah. Okay. Well, how the Baptist mighty have fallen. Bible oh, school. My goodness, man. And you know, someday what? we're going to have him give to his you, Baptist credentials too. Yeah. Well, I think he just that's did. Definitely necessary. Did. Listen yeah. to that. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Definitely. Yep. Steve, where did you go to Bible college? I went to Bible college at Maranatha Baptist Bible College, which is now Maranatha Baptist University. And my freshman year, nineteen ninety, Maranatha started the accreditation process. I knew you were going to bring it up. Yes, You're better I than us. You're up. better than us. I actually us. have an education, but ironically, <laughs> it's a good thing you told us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known. Yes, yeah. <laughs> ironically, that same year they started the accreditation accreditation process. My pastor, who I love and is now in heaven, he resigned from the board because he was against the accreditation. Mm. Oh yeah. So, and I started in 90, and it took me six years. I graduated in 96, but that delay in graduating, I had to sit out some semesters for financial reasons. That delay helped me find my wife, because she is considerably younger than me. Um, And I met her through hanging around college a little bit longer. So that worked out for me, Brother Tom. It reminds me of a quote by uh, Margaret Thatcher. She said, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. So if you have to tell people you're accredited, you know, it's like the product didn't show it. Mm -hmm. 
So did that cross a line? Was that no, you know, no, just, not at all. It's just so oh, sharp that I'm, we all just have to sit and process for. A I'm minute. a little shocked <laughs> it took you till the second podcast to make, mention Margaret Thatcher. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just true. remember, bulldogs don't bite, but we bark pretty loudly. So I will come back at you. <laughs> on that oh one. man! Well, that was uh, all leading into the topic of today's podcast, and uh, Martin. Um, I really think you should kind of introduce the the thought of this podcast and give everyone the title. I, I don't know why. I'm totally throwing this to you like hot potato to you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, well, the subject we have for today then is uh, refocusing fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we want to be able to look at what fundamentalism is about, what we hold to. And in a previous podcast, we discussed we love where we are. You know, we're grateful for where we are and mm-hmm. what shaped us. Uh, but sometimes anything needs to be refocused. And so we want to discuss, you know, what the fundamentals are. We want to talk about the, the extremes to avoid, and that's going to be the subject we go through today with yeah. my esteemed brethren, because as much as I may tease one or two of you, uh, one of you in particular, um, <laughs> you know, I have the utmost respect for you. And so I think this is a very needful conversation. But uh, I'm looking forward to what everyone has to, to say. We want to start with the ditches on the sides of the road. And so one of those is this, that only six fundamentals are important. Only six fundamentals are important. I've run into this in conversations online. I, I got active online when the online world started to exist many years ago. And I've run into this point more times than I can possibly count, that to be a fundamentalist, all you have to do is believe in the fundamentals, in, yeah. in the deity of Christ, in the, in the veracity of the miracles, in the resurrection, in the inspiration of the Word of God, as if, as long as you believe that, you're a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a ditch, and I think you guys would agree with me about that. Oh, yeah, very much so. And that that surfaced in my youth coming out of Bible college was, well, you know, I'm... And the terms they used back in those days is I'm a historic fundamentalist rather than a traditional fundamentalist. And really, historically, fundamentalism began in the late 1800s, early 1900s with the writing of the fundamentalist papers responding to blatant liberalism within mainline denominations. But then there was the, you know, and that was us saying, you know, we're the fundamentalists. And then in the 50s, um, the new evangelicals split from the fundamentalists and they said, you know, and that's back in the day when everyone that believed the gospels described themselves as an evangelical. And technically, you know, we're evangelicals, right. but we're not new evangelicals. And, you know, the famous speech by Harold Gay at Fuller Seminary mm-hmm. that we are a new fundamentalist um, really, to me, drew the line of not us separating, but other people saying, you know, Basically, I heard it put this way recently, and I think it's a lot of wisdom that back in the 50s when that that split took place, it was basically the new evangelicals were saying, hey, if you'll call us scholars, we'll call you Christians. And Hmm. that's just not something that, you know, as, you know, fundamentalists in 2021 that I think we should sacrifice. Expound on that, that statement that you just gave. Well, it's just a matter of respectability. Because back then you had all of the, you know, big universities and they have their religious departments and, you know, the liberalism. And I'm using liberalism in its classic sense, you know, denying the theological liberalism. Yeah, theological liberalism is the new evangelicals wanting to be respected by them. 
And basically, they basically called the truce and said, we're not going to fight with you and we'll, we'll accept you as a Christian and you accept us as, as um, scholarly. And, and the tongue in cheek of that is, right, theological liberals are not Christians. Right. And calling them Christians and letting them us call us, call us scholars doesn't make us scholars either. That's true. Right. It's, yeah. it, it's a, it reminds so, me a little bit of Jerry Falwell's a fundamentalist isn't evangelicals mad about something. There's a there's a, a a touch of truth to it and a fair amount that's not true as well. Yeah. So so what you're saying is then that the the struggle we have going on today has gone on before. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, uh, yes, I mean I've read I, I can't tell you how many books about this sort right. of thing. There's I, there's I, nothing I, new. I feel like I feel like young guys today, and and I, I got to be careful speaking for my generation in a lot of ways, right? Because I know I do fall on the more conservative traditional side of, of the fence on a lot of things. I think I have people to yeah, the right. Yeah, but you of, still think differently. I, well, I, I don't mean so. badly. When I say differently, I don't mean badly. Sure. Well, I think that's what I was gonna say. Is like I think I have people on the to the right of me who think I'm liberal, and people to the left of me, actually people to the right who think I'm going or or wonder if I am. I don't think they think I am. People to the left who think I'm you know like hardcore right wing, whatever. Um, but but that's what I see a lot of is that, that struggle with my generation of like I've got to I've got to I've got to be intellectual now we have to have some form of intellectual understand foundation. foundation understanding of the scripture all that but does it does it at some point become fleshly does it become carnal knowledge puffeth up also. Uh-huh. and that's a, that's a how I dare mean, you quote scripture a, <laughs> speaking <laughs> as a guy who writes and and consequently people think is. I may or may not be intellectual, but they assume I am because I write. Right. That's a temptation. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you saying guys with accredited Bible college degrees <laughs> could become arrogant in their? I, I want to hear. I want to hear the the overseas uh, evaluation of what we're talking about here, because I mean, this is you come from a totally different background, Martin, and you yeah. see this. I think from a different perspective. I want to. I kind of want to see where where your perspective lines up or differs with what's been said so far. Yeah, I mean, my background growing up in the United Kingdom, you know, genuine conservative Christianity is such a tiny proportion over there that a lot of the things that would be fought for here as fundamentals were abandoned by the majority of Christians, you know, 120 years ago or 140 years ago, I guess, when you start thinking about Spurgeon with the downgrade controversy right. or controversy. How do you say it? Um, <laughs> yeah, because yes. I think that, and that's a great reference because I think that is a is a clear forerunner of the fundamentalist liberal fight. Mm-hmm. And Spurgeon got accused of terrible things, and I, and it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure that Spurgeon's own brother separated from him over it. Made the um, motion, yeah. And Spurgeon brought out that, you know, it, the Bible says that we must be peacemakers and peaceable, but he says you have to be first pure, then peaceable. Mm, that's good. Mm. And, you know, and so from a distance, look it in, it seems like there was a great move to be you know, all about peace to be more about, uh, you know, a, a, a wide, wider camp, you know, draw more people in. And so things were set aside as being unnecessary that the Bible says is necessary. And, you know, I feel like from my perspective, um, things were abandoned and, and we've seen the consequence of it in British Christianity. Hmm. Um, and, and the church in the United Kingdom has not been strengthened by narrowing down the fundamentals to fewer and fewer things. Oh, that's a great point. I want to move to the other ditch in a moment, but okay, so just to kind of summarize and talk, bring this out around to something that's really applicable right now is that, 
you know, if we say there's only six or only five, whatever list that you go off of, you know, of, of the fundamentals, and those are the only ones that are important, that naturally excludes, um, uh, let's just use a hot button topic that, that is in scripture and yet gets kind of like, I don't know, it gets accosted. And that would be the issue of uh, separation. So separation mm-hmm. doesn't make that list. It, it well, never makes that list. It doesn't if you let the evangelicals, de- new evangelicals define that list. Right. But if you let history define it, if you let what, what fundamentalism is, was when it began, mm-hmm. if you let its authors define it, it absolutely includes separation. Well, and that's a great point because what I'm hearing today from, from folks who are criticizing separation is that, well, you know, those guys, uh, you know, Tory or whatever, you know, they list some, some names of people generations past. They say they wouldn't have separated over stuff. Well, the whole point of the fact there is fundamentalism proves they did. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're not American Baptists anymore. We're not Southern Baptists anymore. We're not. We're Independent Baptists, right? We're, all, and it wasn't just us. The the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, formed by by Gresham Macon and 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 uh, Carl McIntyre, I think it was. It's the same principle. You see it. You you see it in Baptist denominations. You see it in Methodists. You see it in Presbyterian. They all separated. That was the point. Right. But but the 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 myth then is because separation isn't. Um, on that list of six? Primary, yeah. Because oh. it's not primary, it's not important. The thing is, it's tied into all of them. Well, exactly. And that's the, like, I like it said this way, that it, you don't only hold to the fundamentals, but you insist on them. Right. And that's the thing. We're we're far too, we're, we're far too, we're far too, I'm trying to put this in, a, in, we're far too eager to affirm something. Uh-huh but less eager to defend those things. And that's the thing. Fundamentalism and being a fundamentalist is not only believing them, but then it's insisting upon them. When you, Go ahead. Sorry. When you read the history of those days in the, in the 19-teens and 20s and those battles that took place in the big Baptist and Presbyterian Methodist denominations, the great error in those denominations was not liberalism. It was, there was liberalism that was 20 or 25 percent of the, of, of the voting membership at the national conventions, but it was a large group in the middle. There was a conservative group that wanted to get rid of the liberals, right? That was pretty small, 20, 25%. There's a 20, 25% that are liberal, but there's a big group in the middle of 50% that say, can't we all just get along? Right. And it's those men who said they believed in the fundamentals, but didn't believe in separation that doomed their denominations. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. Martin, you said something that made me pause a moment ago, and I don't, I don't know the history of this maybe as well as you do, but you said Spurgeon's own brother separated from him. Mm Mm-hmm. Was that because Spurgeon's brother was going more liberal? Yes. And so someone who went more liberal decided that the best thing that they could do was to separate from someone who said, I'm not going to move. Oh, so, if you want to bring up inconsistency, <laughs> there's, there's I, lots I, of targets. There's, I am bringing it up, but I just wanted that illustration proves that there's nothing new. Yes. So Spurgeon stood still, and the, the Baptist Union of, of Great Britain moved away from him. And so, you know, we would look upon Spurgeon as being separate, but it was essentially he didn't move and everyone else did. And, you know, interestingly, Northern Ireland, the the Baptist Union of Northern Ireland separated from the rest of the United Kingdom at that time. And the United, you know, Northern Ireland has been the, the bastion of, you know, orthodoxy in the United Kingdom long after the rest of England, Scotland and Wales you know, went south. Yet again, the Irish saved civilization. Can That's, I point out Brennan is an Irish name? Just <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. You know, like, th- this is a biblical reality, too. In, fir- in Jude 18, how that they told you that... Or, I'm a horrible reader. 
how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's no, and, and to me that describes, and I'm not saying that the new evangelicals were sensual, not having the spirit, but it just illustrates the fact that separation isn't always us as conservatives separating from a liberal mindset and from compromise. Many times it's them making that decision to say, you know, you know, we're going to leave, we're taken off. and We stand where we've always stood, yes, where historical exactly. Christianity always stood, and we get accused of being the ones that have, have left. But doesn't yeah. that, doesn't that, well, that, that's another discussion here. I, wanna, I don't want to get <laughs> way off again into the weeds. we got to keep this on track here. So the, yeah. the, the first side of the road is this, well, you know, it's these six or these five and no more, and our definition is the right definition, and nothing else really matters. We should never... We should never separate over anything else, etc. Before you proceed on to the next sure. ditch, I just want to throw this out there for our listeners. If you want to get some some basic, really good information on the on the genuine historical background of fundamentalism, I would recommend reading Ernest Pickering. Mm. Uh, he has a couple of very good books on it. Uh, he was a longtime GRBC guy. And David Beale from Bob Jones University has a couple of good books on it. Um, they're, they're not huge. They're, they're just, some, just some good sure. historical stuff. So the other side of the fence, though— is then you become so overwhelmed with with these things, um, whether they're primary, secondary, or third issues, anything like that, that we strain at gnats and swallow camels, right? I mean, that'd be the other side of the road, wouldn't it? To where we get lost in the peripheral. Does mm-hmm. that make yeah. sense? And this is. And can I tradition. share one example of that? Go ahead. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, you're good. You know, uh, you know, and again, this is where from the outside looking in, sometimes British Christianity looks at it and says, "Well, that's odd." So I know. <laughs> Historically, you know, <laughs> glad be- to know what you think about us. Appreciate right. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, historically, like having a beard would have been frowned upon in certain circles, mm-hmm. and certain mission boards would not allow their missionaries to have beards. Um, be- beards, a beard, <laughs> a beard. Just making sure our, li- our facial hair, facial hair. Got it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so they would not allow awesome, a beard. Just looking at you and hearing you say that that, that <laughs> accent coming out of your mouth. Like, like folks, like beads are Catholic. Bit. Beads are Catholic. Beards are Baptist. Okay, go ahead. Beards are manly. Um, <laughs> so most British men would look at that and say, well, most British Christian men have beards. It's almost like it's flipped. Right. And I think that's one of those areas that became, you know, an issue of separation. Um, you know, and that's probably a, a an extreme example in some senses. But, you know, I've heard that, like I said, some mission board saying, you know, you're not allowed to bid. Right. Okay, but I think some of that comes out of a lot of that, what we view as an overreaction, right? The ditch on that side of the road where everything's fundamental comes out of the cultural reaction against the 60s and 70s yes, it does. of right. the hippies, of the, you know, the hair and the, all of that. And so because of that, we're going to be clean shaven. And so that's what fundamentalism becomes. And that's the ditch, I think, Russ, that we're talking about on this side of the road mm-hmm. where everything becomes a fundamental and it's not. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. We've got to stay out of the ditches in – that's why I think the title of this podcast episode, Refocusing Fundamentalism, is important because we make the mistake, it's human nature, to swing the pendulum, and we right. see the focus of this ditch, mm-hmm. so then we go to the focus of this ditch, and I think balance biblically isn't necessarily standing in the middle of the road, 
but right. it's looking back and forth. It's state. It's understanding. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to recover out of a ditch. It was like I want to refocus on the center of the road and keep my eyes on Jesus and realize sure. I'm not. I'm not looking to just have some legalistic definition of fundamentalism. It's these six things and. You know, if I, as long as I hold to those and, Cause you know. you're saying there's like a legalistic spirit on both sides of that, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like the man who walked by the field of the slothful. What did he do? He saw and considered it well. He looked upon it and received instruction. instruction and that's what we have to do. And I, I appreciate the point you made, Steve, because that is, that is a big, that, that could be a big turnoff when you say, well, you know, the ditch on both sides of the road. What, what that naturally sounds like is we should be middle of the road. And none of us, none of us want to be middle of the road, right? Yeah, but that's 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 taking a whole. It's different, an analogy. Yeah, it's it's a whole different illusion that doesn't. That's comparing apples to oranges, right? And that's I'm not afraid of the middle out. of the road. And it, I think correct. Jesus is the middle of the road, which uh, you can take that clip and crucify me with it, but because no, Jesus I, I always Jesus is never wrong, right? And there's there's always wrong on either side. Well, how many it, times did he say it's not my hour? It's not my hour. Mm. How many things did he not? He never overlooked anything and swept everything, anything under the rug. But how many times did he not do what he could have done? He didn't judge sinners that he could have judged. He didn't heal people that he could have healed. He didn't perform miracles he could have performed because he said, it's not my hour, it's not my time. So maybe that applies a little bit. I don't know. Or yeah, maybe if completely if I could use an illustration <laughs> from history, too, is that, you know, we as Baptists don't believe we were ever part of the Catholic Church. Right. And it's not that mm-hmm. I'm a landmarkist in the fact that I don't. I don't think I can prove there's been a line of succession. You know, I can't prove it from this direction, but I think biblically, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, there'll be a church throughout all ages, world without end. And we don't think we were ever part of the Catholic Church. We're not Protestants. We're Baptists. So in that, as a fundamentalist, I don't think we've ever been in either of those ditches, if I can say that. In other words... As a whole? As a whole, yeah. In other okay. words, like the independent fundamental Baptist that I've grown up in has never been in either of those ditches in the way I was taught and the way I was. Now, I've seen elements of it there. In other, in other words, we don't have to recover from some big mistake we've made. We need to refocus fundamentalism for, for you know, keeping it on track, not trying to rescue it like it's in trouble because... What I was given by my preacher and the men that trained me is something I'm continuing to do, and I'm looking at this ditch. I don't want to be there, and I haven't been there. I don't want to be there, and I haven't been there. I want to keep down the road. Now, before we leave this topic, I think something we ought to discuss is like on either of these ditches, the one where, and I think we talked about this one, so maybe maybe we talk about the latter, um, you know, where there's these six or these five are the only ones that are important versus now we're straining at gnats, swallowing camels, the peripheral has become the primary. Um, how do we in that? Let's just stay in that lane. Okay. The, the peripheral lane, if you will. How does that happen? Like, how do we, how did, how do people get to that point where they, because I've seen good yeah. men, good. Yeah. And these are not heretics. Okay, They're so good men who've gone that direction, and it's kind of become an issue. I'm not sure I can give you a short answer, but I think I know where you can go to find the answer. Okay. The Word of God, because the Pharisees did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, I, and I think when we're called Pharisaical, that, that uh, we bristle at that, right, as independent Baptists, right. as IFBs, we bristle, we're called Pharisaical, but there's, a, there's an element of truth in it. And when you study out the Pharisees, there are similarities. Yeah, there are. And, oh. and so I think if you can answer the— 618 commandments, well, and they I, came I up mean, with are, another 618. Are, are you a separatist? 
Yes. That's what Pharisee means, separate. Okay, but how they applied <laughs> yeah. it, how they right. applied it. I'm just is, saying, yeah, definitely we, we, you know, like people in our movement, for them to say there's yeah. no legalism or pharisaicalism in our movement, but no, they but, were separatists, we're separatists, we could definitely yeah, was, lend that, toward that. Right, you're saying, right. you're saying that that error is in a, or the, the not the opportunity the for error, the for tendency yeah. Yeah, to, to, to become too strict or to become too... You know, the if a six foot fence around the garden of the Torah is good, then a twelve foot fence is better. And right, yeah, I agree. That's in us. I completely agree with that. Well, yeah. I think that's where some of the critics of the IFB are disingenuous because they they say, well, you know, we don't believe in in being separate, but they do. They just draw the line somewhere else. I think yes. they would say they don't believe in standards. Yeah, would be more specifically how they would. But say But that's it, not right? even true, too. Everyone no, has standards. Yeah. Everyone has a line. But they would use you know separation as a criticism. You know, sure. and they, you know, and like we're saying, it, it would be said, well, you know, that's not a fundamental. Where essentially, for them, it still is. They just draw the line somewhere else. We're honest enough to say, well, we believe, you know, the yeah, line falls I, here. I don't disagree with that, but I think their point would be, you guys make separation the be all and end all, and it becomes huge about everything, which is not a fair criticism. No, right. but does have some fairness, does have some truth in it. Mm-hmm. For the, for the folks in the ditch on that can side you, of the road. Can you explain why it's not a fair criticism? Can you expound on that? Um, it's not a fair criticism because there there are grades of separation. Mm-hmm. There are there are ele- It's not black or white. It's not black and white. It's not um, if I've got you know if I've got a preacher across town who's who preaches the gospel, can I fellowship with him? Yes, but I'm going to leave my church to fellowship with him to the extent that he's walking the same direction we are. He's not. He's not the enemy, but he's so not going to be my closest friend. Walk. Yes, mm-hmm. and so because of that, it's not. It's not either or. It's not. And that's how you get these tiny little groups yeah. in fundamentalism that insist we're right about everything and everybody else is wrong about everything, yeah. and they're in that ditch. And I would say, just to kind of like add to what you said, that's such a good thing because what you would, what you might be tempted to believe if you listen to critics on this point is that we hate anyone who is not independent yes. fundamental Baptist. But the reality of it is, my, I mean, my grandfather pastored for 42 years here at our church. I pastored for seven years. I know a lot of the pastors around here. We are on, on extremely good terms. I've got cell phone numbers. I've had coffee with them. I've even said that there's some pastors who are independent Baptists that, you know what, I don't agree with all their methodology, but man, if they pastored here in Evansville, I'd, I'd probably have coffee with them once a week. I mean, not and not just independent Baptist pastors. I mean, just in general, Southern Baptist and beyond, to the extent that we can walk in a scriptural way right. together. Mm-hmm. And so the folks in the ditch, the first ditch we talked about, that only six things are fundamental, mm-hmm. they would lump all of us in with the ditch on the other side of the road of those handful of folks who are so reactionary and mm-hmm. are so close-circled, circle the wagons, when that's mm-hmm. not the fact. Most of the independent fundamental Baptist world is reasonable, is sane, that is, exactly is compassionate, what is gracious. That's is, true. They take a stand, but they but it's not like you know everyone else is a heretic. Mm-hmm. It's not fair— it's not it's not intellectually honest or fair to lump that that broad stream of fundamentalism in the middle with the folks in the ditch on either side right yeah so then we need to talk about okay we we ex- we've identified where there are two tendencies where you might be tempted to go one way or the other um so the key then is what the key is the key is balance that's kind of a I don't want to say a cheap word, but but we're trying to find that balance. I think we need to talk about what we're doing or what we can do 
to try to achieve that balance while maintaining, as you said, first pure, all right, doctrinal purity, personal mm-hmm. purity, all the, all the above, and, and start, start learning how to walk a biblical walk in this way. Exactly. And what you asked the question earlier of how does even good, how, how, do, how, do, how do even good men end up in the ditch of straining at gnats and swallowing at camels and all these peripheral and third degree issues and all of that? How do they end there? And it really is, the reason it happens is because they miss the answer, and the answer is Christ. Amen. It's faithfulness to him, it's faithfulness to his word, and it's it's entry, it's letting man enter into it, meaning men begin to lead to please themselves, to protect themselves, to yeah. please the brethren. It, it's just you, you're letting man into it rather than God caring about what people think. I mean, let's face it, we all, we worry about what someone's going to think of us and, you know, it's it's ridiculous, and it starts in junior high school, and that's where people's faith. There, that's where my faith was tested in junior Some high school. Some of us are still there. Um, now, this is this is also another degree of that of that same conversation, and that is that okay, someone sees a real problem, they see a very real problem. It's it to them, it becomes a glaring problem, and maybe it is a glaring problem, especially if it involves someone who has mentored them, someone who is, you know, they've been close to. How do you keep yourself from overcorrecting? You ever done that before? Well, Martin, I really want to hear your answer to this because I, I, I think that your perspective, looking at it from the outside and now being inside, being mm-hmm. being here in the states, mm-hmm. how do you how do you fix that or how do you prevent that from happening? How do you prevent overcorrection? Yeah. I think taking a, a, a wider look at things, you know, it seems like sometimes there's a genuine issue. And I think, like you rightly brought up about the beards, clean shaven, you know, there was a genuine issue to say, hey, look, let's make sure. Mm-hmm we identify as something different but then it gets extended out and it says well that's just not for you know my situation that becomes a rule for everyone um yeah and i think that's that's one overcorrection overcorrection is is you then take something that was meant to be perhaps just local and temporary and it becomes permanent and you know an umbrella over everyone yeah, we're um, so prone to make rules, and it's, it's so short-sighted. Some people love to make rules. Yes, yeah. I know. Some it's, people do. Because it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's easy. so Both safe. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, it's easy, it's safe, it's control. And I think I, I'm learning the older I get, the more ungodliness comes from control. And yeah. we don't give God. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that's one of the sins, and it, it needs to be its own podcast. In fact, th- this spins off in several things, like Christian Liberty, you know who are who who are you to judge another another man's servant, mm-hmm. and also um, you know the matter of control. And as independent Baptists, we often define separation, or uh, I'm sorry, we often define God's holiness as solely separate from sin, and we emphasize that. But God's holiness is also His sovereign control, and we can become just stupid control freaks and. That's the whole making rules and all of that, and we've really got to guard ourselves against that. I think there's several things to that. I think there's there's a laziness about rules, and you know it's it's easier to make a rule than to dig deep and understand perhaps a, a, a more fundamental truth. Yeah. Um, there, there's an element of distrust about, and, and the laziness I think you know comes into it as well. Um, in you know one of the ditches where. We, we don't want to fulfill our role as being an edifier within the body of Christ. And I'm going to 
balance this out in just a second here. But, you know, we are to exhort one another. You know, we are to encourage one another and we are to call out each other and say, this is right, this is wrong, you know, and, and the ultimate expression of that in, in a negative sense would be church discipline. And I think that's one ditch where you make, um, you know, lots of rules and you kind of overreact that way. Um, on the other side of it, there is a, a lack of faith in God. And so because you don't trust the Holy Spirit to do a work in someone else's yeah. heart, yep, yep, yep. You, um, you, you try and enforce it and be that yourself. Yeah. yeah. And plus, it, this, you mentioning the simplicity of it illustrates the fact of what Brother Russ was saying earlier about the fact that he can have coffee with so-and-so and this and that. And that is there are so many different things we might separate over and different reasons we might separate or even choose not to separate. And then the brethren start, because there's been this rule and, oh, you had so-and-so preach for you. Didn't you know he preached for this person that preached for that person? But you know what? Sometimes there might be, I might make a decision based on, I'm not having certain guy preach for me because he's comfortable with this and that. And, and that's where to me, it helps younger and older alike to realize let's not make all these hard, fast rules on where we're separated on everything because there's just so many factors that come into play in you know in in why we make those decisions. Yeah. I think just, just throw a thought that's maybe a little outside the box here. One of the reasons that independent Baptists get into the overreaction of going to the ditch of everything becomes a fundamental. We're talking about rules is because so many of our men were trained in Bible colleges where the rule books were enormous. Oh. And and we come out of a system where we're trained to pastor, right? You're going to go to this church because you're going to learn how to pastor. But the truth is, and this may be heresy, but I really believe it, that pastor doesn't pastor anything remotely like a regular church pastor pastors. That system is nothing remotely like a regular church, and you try to take that staff-heavy, rule book-heavy, uh, all kinds of, you know, do this or else mm-hmm. into you know a church on the corner of Fourth and Main in a mid midwestern city. You take that attitude of I'm going to solve a problem by making a rule. It's just as easy, and it's what you're used to, and it's what you were. It, it's the model you were shown. Mm-hmm. And you stumbled upon a dream of mine, brother Tom, which that is, is someday now my our, pastoring our church, on the Fourth of Main, Fourth and Main. <laughs> no, our church does not have a Christian school. I hope someday we, we are to have it, but is that a Christian school or a Bible college have a rule book oh, yeah, we've talked that about this. is full of rules, and nowhere in there does it say this rule is based upon this Bible principle or this? Because I really think a lot of this seeped into our movement through the Christian school movement and with school rule books right. and the attempt to try to make every rule tied to a principle of Scripture when in all actuality for our schools, for our Bible colleges, have rules, have you know, that guys have to wear a belt, but don't try to prove that biblically. Just oh, have yeah. the rule book and then say, these are our rules, stick by them, enjoy oh, yeah. them. There's nothing biblical about keeping them. Because what ends up happening is you establish the standard of somehow you've reached holiness when you keep the yeah. rule book of a yeah. Bible college or a Christian school. Can I, can I tell you something we did here? And because, because of that, and by the way, let it be known, we're not against having a rule book. Oh no! I mean, you—you you even just said I, that. I love rules. I know, that's you guys the thing know is Steve, that. Yeah. I'm always making rules. Steve is like the ultimate rule maker, and he, you know—you know what, guys? We need to make a rule. Um, wait, what? You know? But we give. Him I a don't hard like time. to keep my rules. No, but no, you don't. I like to make. Them. So, so let's just because we are—we are discussing like what what it, what needs to happen here. Something we did um, 
is we have guidelines, we have standards for our teachers, our, our choir members and all that. And, and I acknowledged at the beginning of the standard list, if you will, um, I think it says guidelines and standards on it, something like that, is that we understand, this is almost verbatim, we understand that not every bullet point that you see is going to have a scripture verse attached to it. It's our desire to do things decently and in order and in a professional manner. And these are simply the avenues by which we do that. Now, we distinguish where there are clear biblical things. Trust me. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's scripture all throughout our guidelines. But sometimes there's, there's an organizational rule that says, well, this is what we're going to do when this happens. That takes some humility, though. Boy, I don't know right. if I would claim to have humility. So. No, what I'm saying is, th- th- <laughs> well, that's what we this did. goes back to, to Steve's point. It takes some humility to say this is a rule. There's not necessarily a biblical reason for it. There's just a practical reason for it. Right. It's it, it's it's much more safe. It's much more feeding my pride as the leader if I to say, hide listen, behind. all of this comes back to the Bible. And mm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and again... Um, we know that there's got to be organization. We know there's got to be rules. We know that all of that has got to happen. But the key is, and we got to go back to this, guys, because the key is is something that was brought up. I, I think Steve mentioned it, is that we always have the Bible to go back to. Like when it comes down to it, this overcorrection one way or the other or the ditch on the other side of the road, we're not worried about being milquetoast middle of the road. We're worried about, we're, we're concerned about and focused on being on the path that is the most biblical. And when we do that, I think we have to do a few things. I think one, we have to not, we can't be so focused about people who are where we were. You ever seen someone so upset that, that mm-hmm. once they were oh, enlightened, yes. there's others who are yes. still where they were, and they're like, ah, oh, you know, those people, you know, that's fun. And then they literally go as far as to saying they're false prophets, false doctrine, they're heretics. I'm like, stop. You're taking your eyes off Christ. Stop, guys. Yeah. Like, you were just there five months ago. Can you please not do that? <laughs> yes. You know? And, and that's just a, I think that's, that's something that everyone, you said it, it takes humility. And if we can find what the Bible says, if we're ever in error, we find what the Bible says, and we humbly adjust course to Scripture. I think that's the ultimate key, don't you? Mm-hmm. I do. I want to bring up one other thought sure. um, in the sense of making sure we don't overcorrect. Um, I love the passage in John chapter 1 where it says Jesus was full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. Because what are we describing in the ditches on either side but people who are full of one and not the other? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, literally, one yeah. side's all grace, and, and I've, I've written whole chapters in books about why their application and understanding of grace is wrong. And then the other side is all truth and my way or the highway. And Jesus was, again, we overuse the word balance, but let's just say it biblically. Let's use Bible words. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Sure. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we give ourselves to learn Christ, you know, Paul says that I may know him. Mm. And when we give ourselves to learn Christ, we see he's so... When you study Christ and you walk with Christ and you you know him in your head, you know him in your heart, you experience him, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, when you when you know him, then you, you, you see that grace in action, you see that truth in action, you see that grace and truth in thought and mind and expression and heart. And as you pursue becoming like Christ, you end up balance you end up in the middle because you are both grace and truth power right, Christ. But the thing, so so don't what, pursue balance as much as you pursue jesus pursue christ Amen. right and that that ties into one of the things that's one like bedrock in my heart that i've learned and i believe to be very true and that is balance is not a position we arrive at but it's a disposition of our heart it's a sensitivity that 
I don't, you know, the illustration I use of it is I've been to a circus before years ago. I took our kids. It was pretty colossal. But there's these guys balancing on like four or five different round objects, and they're at the top. And if they ever think, okay, I got this. I don't have to make any other adjustment. They're going to fall because they're constantly balancing Shifting. their yeah. weight. They're mm-hmm. constantly moving. They're, they're looking. And it's, it's, a, it's a sensitivity that I want to be gracious, but I've got to stick to truth. And I think if we ever arrive, then we, we, we then don't have Christ. And he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And he talks about seeking him, seeking him. And I, I don't think we should ever think that we found it or we figured it out. It's a sensitivity to the fact that we're supposed to walk in grace and truth. The title of the podcast is Dear Church. And Martin, because this was your idea today, what we're going to end every podcast with, Lord willing, is an opportunity for one of us just to kind of pin a letter to the church and pin a thought to the church. And so, Martin, uh, we're going to have you read your letter to the church. Dear Church, the fundamentals of the faith are vital to nail down, understand, expound, and defend. However, As with any doctrine, the collection known as the fundamentals have been the subject of misunderstandings and abuse. The very existence of fundamentals demands separation from those who would undermine those foundational doctrines. So, gracious, God-honoring separation from error must be accepted as a part of historic fundamentalism. While the man-centered separation of some has marred an essential of holiness, we ought not to abandon this necessary truth. And note, Often those accused of divisive separation have merely stood still while others moved away. Where some would abandon doctrine, others add to it. And we must guard our hearts against adding to the fundamentals, just as we must guard against abandoning the fundamentals. As genuine Bible-believing Christians, we ought not to seek to tear down fundamentalism, but rather refocus on the fundamentals, rejoice in them, and be refreshed by them. Your friends and fellow laborers, Martin, Stephen, Tom, and Steve.